0: All right, let's go ahead and open our Bibles to Acts chapter 2. And Acts chapter 2. And we're going to begin reading in verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. As we began 2020, I felt it uh, necessary to once again revisit the principles in which our little church had been built upon 23 years ago and show you and demonstrate for you that those principles are as relevant today as they were when we started Though the years have changed and the society has changed and people have changed to a certain degree, and of course these principles therefore need to be framed in the context of 2020 rather than looking back throughout the course of history and watching how these principles were uh, demonstrated and, and contextualized by those years. I believe that these principles today are the principles in which god would want a church to be built upon and as a result he then can therefore do in and through the church all that he desires to do in and through that church at the end of 2019 many magazine articles were being written about churches feeling the necessity to reinvent themselves to stay relevant within our current culture and as a result, they would dramatically shed aspects of the traditional church, and they would take on very unique and untraditional styles of conducting church. And one of those churches that we looked at last week was the Bar Church, or if you're on the East Coast, the Pub Church. And as a result, we showed and demonstrated how these, were, these reinventions were uh, ineffective, and they were not accomplishing what they were hoping to accomplish by reinventing themselves, and that is mainly to remain relevant to the society. Today, though, as we work our way through Acts chapter 2, where we see general principles for the church to be built upon, it's not an exhaustive um, look at ecclesiology, which is uh, the study of the church in the New Testament, of course, you need all of the New Testament to get a thorough, comprehensive understanding of how God has designed the church to work. But when you come to Acts chapter 2, there are very distinct general principles that I think every church should adopt. Starting in verse 1, we saw that they were Spirit-led. I believe that a healthy church will be a Spirit-led church. And we discussed what that looks like and what that meant, or what that means when we went through our first session together. The second point that we wanted to make is that uh, they engaged in evangelism, answering the questions that the world was asking and has concerning God and the work of God here on this earth. And of course introducing Jesus in that in evangelistic uh, endeavor, of course leading then people to saving faith in Jesus Christ. We know that the Bible then tells us in verse 41 3,000 individuals came to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Now they start out with 120 at the beginning of the chapter and by verse 41 Luke is already indicating to us who wrote this book that 3,000 people had been, had been added to the church. That's a significant growth. Now what do you do with those believers afterwards? What do you do with them next? That's the real question. Some churches, again, believe that their only endeavor and objective is to simply evangelize, so they create environments that are conducive to that. Other churches believe that they need to be a social center, allowing people to connect with one another, and so they create an environment specifically for that. We here at Calvary believe that the church is for the believer in Jesus Christ, and we believe that the main objective of church and of bible study is to equip the believer in the word of god to fulfill the ministry that god has called them to the service that god has called you to everyone here has been called to do something on behalf of the lord there are no you know individuals that god has simply called to ride the bench or to sit in the bleachers and observe what's going on on the playing field each one of us plays a role within the body of Christ. Each one of us fulfills a different identity of the body as being members of that body. And to fulfill what God has called us to do, we must be equipped to do so. And this is the point that Paul brings forward in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. So to do this, we find that in verse 42, there are four distinct things elements i should say that the church practiced there at the very beginning that i should be i believe should be followed to this day and the very first one of those was the apostles teaching we believe that teaching is a very important part of church and church life and coming to church to be taught the word of god Now today in our culture, we have to contend with the idea of the advent of the internet. And many today believe that the internet now can solve all of our problems and provide for us all of the things that we need. And that's true. I use the internet all the time, probably more than I should, for my research and my work and so forth. And if I have to fix something around the house and I don't know how to do it, I go to that incredible uh, site called YouTube and watch other people break theirs first and then fix it and then try not to repeat their mistakes. The internet can be an incredible tool. You can learn a lot from it. You can learn and, and you can hit the internet at any time that's convenient for you and so forth. But simply receiving teaching through the internet negates the next three elements of the church. Because the second of these elements is fellowship. We looked at that last week and we gave more of a historical definition to this word because I believe it is so much more uh, majestic than just simply gathering people together in one location under a common call. And we took a look at that last week to discover that the fellowship that they entered into broke down barriers of demographic divide and social divide and economic divide and allowed people to be in proximity with one another to allow the teaching of the word of God to go to go forward. So if we heard a teaching there in the temple when John would say, he who sees his brother in need and has the ability to fulfill it and does not, well, you can't You can't respond to that need if you're not in proximity to that need. And rich and poor people in that culture just didn't hang out together socially. Uh, Now in Christ, they were doing just that. They were gathering together as one gathering, eliminating those social and economic divides, which we looked at, allowing therefore the teaching of the word of God to have its full effect. And we already see that here in our text when they say in verse 44, and all who uh, be- uh, believed were together. Interesting phrase there. Because it talks about every economic, social class of person. who Anyone who believed were together. And had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. You can't do that unless you're in proximity with these people. And we saw those social divides throughout the gospel. The second element that cannot simply be reproduced by going to YouTube and listening to a message is this aspect of the breaking of bread. Now, I don't know why the ESV translators decided to put the word the before each and every one of these phrases. They're the only ones that do it, I believe. I don't think the NIV does or the NASB, uh, that word is not there. It's added by the translators. It's not in the original Greek. (laughs) And as a result, it gives somewhat of a misleading idea. But after the fellowship, it says they continued in the breaking of bread, which is what we are going to be looking at today. Initially, people interpreted this phrase as referring to communion they observed communion together as a newly found church that's partially correct but it is incomplete. The reason I believe that this phrase "breaking of bread means more than just uh, observing communion together as a group of people is because the same phrase is used here in verse Uh, 46 talking about what they endeavored to do in their homes and together breaking bread in their homes they received their food with glad and generous hearts this is referring to intimate relationships between these people one of the most intimate things you could do in that culture is to share a meal with someone This is why Jesus was scolded, if you will, for even thinking or considering eating with Gentiles, let alone those who were of the scourge of society, the prostitutes and so forth. Because they believed in that culture that that was an intimate thing. And when you ate with someone, because of the manner in which the food was provided and the way you ate together, is that you would share the food. You would break off pieces of the bread and you would dip them into the same bowls as others would. And it was a very intimate act. And In fact, today, uh, if you were to go out on a first date, the most common first date still to this day is going out for a meal with another person. The breaking of bread was to demonstrate that not only were they in fellowship with one another, but they also were developing very personal and intimate relationships with one another. As we discussed that fellowship removed the social and demographic divides that would have continuously separated them in the culture, they now saw themselves no longer as rich or poor, free or slave, even to the point Gentile and Jew now they saw themselves as brothers and sisters in Christ. And as a result, now in that new family dynamic, the relationship aspect needed to grow. And so not only did they have the apostles teaching and they were in fellowship with one another, but they grew in their personal relationships with one another in a very intimate manner. Now, when we talk about intimacy, please let us not make the same mistake our society makes. Our society wants to tell us that the only form of true intimacy today is physical intimacy between two people, sex. But that's truly not the case. In fact, what's really necessary in our society today and what so many are longing for in our society today are intimate relationships between people. You can have intimate relationships with people and they are necessary for the health of any society. A society that is devoid of these intimate relationships is a broken society, which I'm going to clearly demonstrate to you in just a moment. These individuals now were learning how to have relationships with people who the culture would have continuously separated due to either their social status or uh, their economic status uh, or because one was Jew and one was Gentile. Things were beginning to change and these intimate relationships were now being developed where the body could now start to act like the body of Christ as Paul continuously told the Gentiles that the church was the active body of Christ here on this earth with the head being Jesus, the body therefore continuing the earthly ministry in which he started and therefore uh, he wanted to continue until his return. But they weren't going to be able to do this unless they had developed these intimate relationships with one another. If we were to bring this into the context of 2020 this would be the point now that I would feel that it's appropriate to address one of the crises, if I may say, that we find today in America and in the church. In 2019 when I was talking with people and counseling people, one of the words that continuously came up It didn't matter how old they were. It could have been someone from our youth group, someone here in the church, a close personal friend, one of my mentors. I continuously heard this word being used. And it's the word loneliness. The word loneliness. Three years ago when the CDC began to track the number of suicides here in America because they spiked so quickly and it was becoming apparent that it was an epidemic that so many people from so many different walks of life, different age demographics were attempting and committing suicide. It had spiked so drastically that the CDC felt it necessary to begin to track this, to show uh, and to uh, uh, make known, uh, create awareness, if you will, that this is becoming a problem. And it is in our nation. Suicide is a problem in our nation. The CDC, being the doctors that they are, of course, wanted to know if there were warning signs that could be detected before getting to that point. Being able to see and to notice these warning signs, and of course, there were some warning signs that were given, and there were others that were confirmed to still be consistent with observations that psychologists and psychiatrists had made previously. But now they began to see that there was a reoccurring element that seemed to be a consistent stepping stone in the process of one coming to a point in their life that they feel like they needed to end their life. And I'm sure you can know what I'm about to say. It was loneliness. Loneliness has now been called the silent epidemic of the United States of America. I predict that in 2020, you're going to hear more and more written about this, more and more discussion about this, and it needs to be discussed. We have never seen a society as fractured as our society is today. We have never seen a society that is lacking personal, intimate relationships with one another. We are discovering today that individuals between the ages of 13 and 25 don't even know how to develop relationships that would become intimate and personal. Real relationships, deep relationships. They don't have the skills to do it. And people are seeing that this is becoming detrimental to our society. And of course, as our society moves in this way, you can imagine that there will be elements throughout the church also, and we're seeing that also. What used to be confined to elderly individuals who are the end stages of their life when they find themselves in a place that all of their friends and most of their family has died, and they feel alone and isolated, removed from maybe their home environment and place in a facility that could care for them. This incredible loneliness would come upon them. And as a result, it would be very difficult for them to work through the loneliness, even to develop relationships at that point in their lives because they didn't feel like it was necessary because the person that they would be in relationship with would soon die. It was interesting, there were some... uh, studies done about adult living facilities such as del Webb and the villages down in florida seems like paradise on the surface doesn't it you know we had a lovely couple from our church head down to florida bought a home in the villages beautiful area gorgeous you know just you know you you're just like wow i mean this is step one to heaven okay You know, beautiful town squares, beautiful restaurants, beautiful uh, all kinds of activities and so forth to do. The houses were beautiful and, and so forth. And you're just like, wow, what a great time to spend the end of your life. And as we went down there frequently, time and time again... We noticed that the couple that had moved down there who were two of the most joyful and loving and happy folks that there were, I noticed that he started to become a little quiet and he didn't seem as enthusiastic the third time or the fourth time we went down there and while him and I were alone together in his beautiful golf cart, uh, And we were driving through the villages. He shared with me, he goes, Pastor Eric, he goes, sometimes I wish we were back in Chicago. And I go, and I'm looking at him, I'm like, wait, have you gone nuts? I mean, this place is gorgeous and there's no snow ever. Okay, you got the occasional alligator, but you know, you deal with it. You roll with it. And then he said something to me that I'll never forget. He said, every time my wife and I make friends with people, they seem to die within the next six months. And I really thought about that. You can have all of this beauty, but what they were starving for was the relationships. What they wanted was the relationships. They kept flying us down there so that we would interact with them. we say, hey, we love you. We'll come down. No, no, we'll pay. We're okay, but uh, you, don't, you don't have to pay for my friendship. Um, But they missed it. They missed interacting with the young people here at church. You know, when they got together with their friends, it was always a conversation of every ailment that they ever had, you know. And how many times can you talk about a colonoscopy before it gets too old, you know? And then they would start developing friendships, and then something, of course, tragic would happen. And it really opened my eyes to some things help me appreciate what I have. It helped me see that even though you relocate to a place that looks like paradise, if there are certain elements missing that are essential for a healthy life, such as personal intimate relationships, then what's the point? At the end of 2019, two studies were completed here in the United States and abroad in in the UK, trying to gauge how significant this issue of loneliness was. And they were shocked to discover it, the results. What used to be confined in that elderly stage of life, which would be understandable, and uh, you can see why that would occur, was now happening with people younger and younger in the demographic spectrum. To the point... One was put forward by UGov, which is an interesting organization. They do some good research. And they worked with 1,000 people, but another one was done in conjunction with that through Cigna Health Insurance. And they worked with 20,000 people. And they started discovering that amongst millennials, millennials, 30% of them stated clearly that they were in a constant state of loneliness. of them, the millennial generation, stated that they didn't believe that they had close personal friendships. And that was concerning. But then they went down farther and they discovered something even more incredible. That the generation below them, that number went from 30 to 51%. Felt that they were in a constant state of loneliness. In others, it went as high as 70% in the groups in which they interviewed. Now, notice this 60% of those same people believe that they did not have close personal friends in the lower age group, which they range anywhere from 15 to 27. You see this amongst young people today when they're friends with one person one week and then all of a sudden they have a falling out. They never talk to each other again and they go on to another person and then that falls through and then there's a period of time that they have no one. And we're seeing this constantly develop. And even though we are in a time where we should by the advent of technology, have more opportunity for relationship, it has actually worked in reverse and less people feel in relationship with others today than they ever have before. It's amazing to discover the effects of loneliness. In the UK, they found that their numbers were so staggering that they felt it necessary in 2018 to appoint... In the government, an individual called the Minister of Loneliness. His or her job is specifically to gauge the loneliness of the people. And as a result, they see that the trend is not moving in a positive direction, but in a negative direction. The effects of loneliness are vast but they are also um, able to be quantified. As one wrote, he said, The loneliness problem is very real. It has been called a hidden epidemic that threatens vast sectors of the American public. Well over 40% of adults in America report feeling lonely. Lonely. While we live in the most technologically connected age in history, the rates of loneliness have doubled since the 80s. Loneliness affects physical health, longevity of life, levels of stress, and mental health. It also leads people to look for escapes in drugs, opiates, excessive eating, drinking, and unfortunately, suicide. Loneliness is detrimental to the stress levels, immune functions, emotional and mental wellness, and cardiovascular and cellular health. One recent study found that social isolation may be more significant of a health risk than obesity, smoking, nutrition, or exercise, increasing your risk of... I may flip over. ...death... By an incredible 30%. In fact, in the UK, self-harm is the biggest killer of young people in their 20s. Loneliness and weak social connections are associated with the reduction in lifespan similar to that that is caused by smoking 15 cigarettes a day, and even greater than that associated with obesity. Obesity. And this was from the U.S. Surgeon General who wrote this in a Harvard Business Review earlier, I'm sorry, later last year. When we talk about loneliness, the question that, of course, arises is what is causing the loneliness within individuals? And the one thing that the survey has helped us understand is this. Loneliness is not indicative of a person being alone. Let me say that again. Loneliness is not indicative of a person being alone. There are times that solitude can be incredibly helpful. Just for your personal sanity, right? Those of you with young children know that solitude can be a wonderful thing. I personally enjoy periods of solitude, that I may do my work and research, and I I like to work in a quiet environment. And, you know, even when my daughter is home from college and my wife is off from work, uh, it's more difficult for me to concentrate on what I'm looking at and truly trying to understand the information properly. Solitude can be a healthy thing. Isolation can be a very harmful thing. But let me say this again, just because someone is physically alone, that's not the only indicator that they are lonely. In fact, it has been well established that people can be in marriage relationships and feel alone. People can have healthy families and feel alone. People can be in a mall that is crowded and feel absolutely alone. People can be in a church group like this and feel alone. And so therefore, isolating ourselves doesn't help in any way, but it also doesn't indicate that just because you're going to be around people that loneliness is going to dissipate. In fact... One of the indications that I have now discovered from someone who is lonely that you wouldn't know to be lonely is this. When you get one-on-one with them, if they have a tendency, say you're sitting over a cup of coffee with them, and the moment you sit down, they just start talking. And they'll ask questions and not wait for an answer. They'll just keep talking. And they'll talk and talk and talk, they're not dominating a conversation it's actually expression of loneliness and they're demonstrating that they may not have a relationship even within their marriage or family in where in which they can communicate loneliness is an incredible problem in our nation today So what causes this loneliness? Well, every one of the surveys began in the exact same way in their identification of the loneliness problem in America. It's very complex. It's multifaceted. The breakdown of the family in America. You know, this nation once entertained families that had 10, 12 children. My dad's from a family of 11. You know, But we don't have those family get-togethers. We don't have dinner over a dinner table anymore without the TV being on or screens being introduced and so forth. My wife and I, when we go out to eat, we constantly find a family uh, using a screen as a pacifier for their children. Social media, which was meant to help people make connection, has only driven people further away because in the ad- adoption of secular i'm sorry social media what we have discovered is that the dependency on forming a relationship is then reduced to clicking accept or reject the friend request that's being posed to you on Facebook but you and I who know that personal relationships take time to develop and you're going to go through ups and downs You know, when I was growing up and I had difficulties with my friends on my block, which is a rarity anymore, right? Kids having friends on their block that they all just go hang around with. And I grew up on a great block. We had wonderful people from all different nationalities and traditions and backgrounds. I mean, we ate great as kids, you know. We'd go over to the Italian house for some wonderful spaghetti. We went to this uh, wonderful Hispanic couple, uh, incredible food, you know. And we would just go, the neighborhood kids would just go, you know, block to block. We didn't care. And in fact, you know, it didn't matter who the parent was too. They all had permission to correct us, you know. It was just a completely different atmosphere. But if I had a problem in my friend group, I didn't try to resolve that problem by unfriending them from social media. We duked it out in the backyard until my mom and dad came to, you know, to break us apart. Kicking and hitting and, you know, knocking each other around and so forth. And then hugging it out and going out and playing baseball, you know. But you know as well as I do that any worthwhile relationship has to work through difficulties, Right? And yet today, we are constantly removing the difficulty from our children's lives rather than having them work through it. And they're overwhelmed by anxiety and worry and fear, and we keep removing those things. You know, I I just, guys, it doesn't work. It's wrong. And we're not developing individuals that can work through their problems any longer. I knew that if I went to my dad with difficulties, he would listen so kindly and so generously. And then he would give me that wonderful advice. Go work it out for yourself, kid. You know? Okay. But let's talk about the family dynamics. Let's talk about the absentees of the fathers in the homes. Oh, they're there, but they're not contributing I'm not saying they're not contributing financially. They may be doing a great job financially, but are they contributing to the discipline of the children? The encouragement of the children? Are they mentoring the children? Are the dads coming along the sons? And more importantly, are the dads coming along the daughters? We have a breakdown of that. That's created further loneliness and, and issues. We have social media that has removed the necessity of working through relationship uh, incidents that would be required for developing deep personal relationships. Let alone individuals who at one time, I saw this in the 90s, many people tried to uh, gather their social community by interacting with people that they worked with. And that was successful for a little while, but then... When the number, when the years of a, at a certain company reduced to like 5 or 7, where it used to be 15 to 20 when I was in the business world, they, every time they'd make friends, they'd move on to another company, and a lot of those friendships would be lost. There are so many things affecting this issue. And they're still sorting through them. And they are still working through them. As one pastor who has begun to do some work on this subject indicated, what he has noticed and was able to document is, in his opinion, loneliness can lead to four very distinct pitfalls. Number one, loneliness can lead to immoral relationships. (sighs) This This is a real problem. People are so hungry for relationships in the Christian community, they're unable to have them with their Christian brothers and sisters, and when the world shows them any, uh, any attention or affection, especially the young ladies of Christianity, they just whew, right away. And they end up in very difficult positions. Number two, he said, loneliness can impact our finances. How many people are trying to offset the loneliness in their lives by pursuing material possessions. Number three, loneliness can damage our self-perspective. Loneliness can distort our understanding of how God views us. And number four, loneliness can produce physical problems and even lead to suicide. We find that loneliness is a huge problem today. It is exponential, it's, a, it's epidemic, and it's growing. We as believers in Jesus Christ here at Calvary need to understand that to address the subject of loneliness we must start theolo- uh, theologically with our understanding of our personal relationship with God. Every verse that I would lead a person who is struggling, struggling with loneliness to would end with, i am with you meaning god is with you but here's what's happening because our world no longer seems to understand how to cultivate personal relationships and please know that i am speaking in generalities because it is still coming to bear we're still seeing this play out before us but we see the symptoms all around us of these problems And I am trying to bring it forward this morning to say, at our church, let's see if we can nip this in the bud before it goes any farther. We, as human beings, were were created for the purpose of relationship. Let us understand that. But that starts and begins with God. And the root of all loneliness... The source of all loneliness is not our interpersonal connection with people around us. It is our separation from God at the fall. And if we don't address that, first and foremost, anything else is just putting a a band-aid on a wound. We're not fixing the problem. It is clear that Adam and Eve when created in that perfect state, enjoyed a company and an intimacy, not only with one another, but with God. However, though, even though it begins with God, let us understand that he still uh, created us for the necessity of personal interrelationships with other human beings. Why do I say that? Well, Genesis 2.18 tells us that everything was created in a perfect state, that all was good in God's eyes, and yet the Lord said, it is not good that man should be what? Alone. And so I will make him a helper fit for him. We were meant to be with other people. But we, are, we cannot address the situation of loneliness without first addressing it most practically and most importantly with God. The relationship that people are looking for today is never going to be able to be found in, interrelationship pers- uh, in, in interrelationships with human beings. It's never going to be found there. It's only going to be found with the Lord. But once that happens, we still have the need for personal relationships, don't we? So I'm not negating that fact. But what I am saying is that one who is finding themselves in need, who has cultivated a relationship with the Lord, may not find them in such despair, themselves in such despair that it's leading to suicide, etc. Remember, Paul made this interesting statement where he says, when you are confronted by death, he says, don't grieve as those who have no hope, right? He didn't say don't to grieve. He just said don't uh, grieve with the same intensity that those who have no hope. So I believe that it is possible to be lonely, but not lonely to the extent that it's destroying our lives. And only God can do that. And even when we are alone and feel alone, as Joseph was in prison, as Paul was in prison, he knew, they knew that the Lord was with them. And they fell back into his hands at that moment and allowed him to carry them at the moment. But they still had that need. We, as the brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, should be looking for our brothers and sisters who are in need and are experiencing loneliness and helping fulfill that need. Dina and I love you guys more than you could possibly ever imagine, but I'm going to shock you now. We are not superheroes. We have our limitations, and we cannot fulfill all the personal needs that you may have. This is why the body of Christ is so important and indispensable in this equation. Because where we cannot get to, the body of Christ should always be able to get to. Even Jesus demonstrated that at one moment in his life he felt extraordinarily alone. As he hung from the cross and he shouted these words, Eli, Eli, lamna shabachtane. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Many don't understand what I mean by cultivating a relationship with God because they don't understand what it means to cultivate a relationship with a human being. The only way you can cultivate a healthy relationship with another person is by spending time with them. By spending time with them. You know, when we were growing up and we would meet somebody at school and and then we maybe start dating a a young lady in school and all of a sudden she moved away the first things that my friends would always say to one another is long distant relationships just don't work you know because they heard that on you know one of the talk shows donahue at that time or something and uh but it was so true you know the separation doesn't work you're not going to find this intimacy this this connection on social media i don't care how hard you try It's not there. You have to spend time with people. And the same thing is true about God. You have to spend time with God in prayer and in His Word. He has has designed and revealed Himself completely to us that we may know Him through His Word. I'd like to leave you with four things this morning and yet remind you of this. One of the reasons that the breaking of bread was so important to that culture was due to the consequence that these individuals would face once they decided to follow Jesus Christ. If you turn with me in your Bibles in closing, and we'll wrap it up, notice with me in Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. Jesus himself said, he says, do not think that I have come to bring peace on earth, for I have, come to bring a, uh, I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus told his followers from the very beginning that if you come to follow me, believe in me, it may sever the most intimate relationships in your life. And that's exactly what happened in Judaism. As people were giving their lives over to Christ, many Jewish families were having funerals for those people, no longer acknowledging them as sons or daughters, mothers or fathers, etc. And so where do they go? Who do they go to? They're left with no one in many cases because understand that we are not talking about just mother and father, but aunts and uncles and all everybody else. Once you were expelled from there, you were expelled from everywhere. So now these newfound relationships in the body of Christ was serving as a family to many people. I know that when I became a Christian, my mother and father didn't know how to react. And I found over time that we were separating due to our ideas and what we believed and so forth. Where the people of the church became more family to me than my mother and father, even though I loved them dearly. And so the breaking of bread and going from home to home breaking in bread, these new intimate relationships were being formed with people that now had a commonality and that was Christ. After I became a Christian, I lost all my secular friends. I was thrown out of the band that I was in in high school. My girlfriend dumped me. And for two years, I didn't have anyone. For two years, no one, except the people at church. And I would only see them on midweek studies and on Sunday mornings. And I was reading my Bible and I was growing as a Christian and I was learning, but I was feeling more and more lonely every single day. And finally, I just prayed. I said, Lord, you know, I'm, I'm feeling lonely here. I, I, I don't have anybody and nobody ever calls anymore. And nobody, if I were to die, I don't know if anybody would even miss me, you know, and so forth. And then one Sunday afternoon after church, the phone rang and it was this young guy from church. And he asked me, I was embarrassed to say this, he asked me if I wanted to go for ice cream. A guy asking another guy to go for ice cream. Now you have to remember, let me just put it this way. I was not an ice cream going guy before I became a Christian, okay? But you know what I said? Oh yeah, absolutely. Ice cream would be great. You know, because I just wanted a friend. And he came over, and we discovered in about 15 minutes that we were absolutely the opposite in almost every way. In fact, I told him at one time, you know, if we were in high school together, you'd still be locked in your locker because I would have put you there. But you know what? He became my best friend. And God used him in my discipleship. He was my best man at my wedding but he was never anybody I would have picked for myself. And he turned out to be exactly what I needed. Four things that I'd like to leave you with. Number one, first and foremost, you must learn to cultivate a relationship with God by spending time with God. And I can definitely talk to you personally about that in more detail if you like. Number two, Instead of looking for the perfect person for yourself, make sure you're the perfect person for someone else. Make sure that you're ready to be a really good friend to someone else. Don't simply be looking for a relationship with a person to see how you will benefit from that. Ask yourself, how may I be a blessing to someone else? Because if you are going to have a successful friendship, a relationship... Here it is, folks. You must check selfishness at the door. It's not all about you. It's not about what you can receive from the relationship, but what you can contribute to the relationship. And number four, let God bring that person to you and don't judge a book by its cover. Because you may say, that's not a guy I'd ever hang out with. That's not a gal i'd ever hang out with but this is who god may want you to be with as a friend and him and i were inseparable and i miss him every day because he's he, he moved to tennessee he got out of illinois he was he was always smarter than i was but i never would have anticipated a friendship growing in that circumstance and yet it did We've only scratched the surface when it comes to the issue of loneliness here at Calvary. I wanted to put this forward today because I want all of us to be aware of the epidemic that it is. I want each and every one of us to be aware and do whatever we can to help people who we discover are lonely and see what we can do to help. See how we can bless them rather than looking to be blessed by every relationship that we have. I'd like to close with this, if I may. This is one individual who wrote, and I think it's incredibly uh, uh, well to end on this morning. And thank you for your time, your extra time this morning. One benefit, he says, of my loneliness was this. I recognized the loneliness of others. One way I deal with loneliness was to become a good listener and came to see that and I came to see that a wide variety of circumstances result in a similar experience, and that is loneliness. Now circumstances may vary, he says, but the feelings are similar. We feel isolated and vulnerable and alone. We talk, and yet no one hears us. We want to talk and be heard, known and understood, included and cared about. It isn't what remedies our loneliness, but who remedies it. First and foremost, Jesus Christ is the friend of sinners. The real solution is not in getting married, but in our union with Christ, which will lead to our union with one another. God changes our priorities. Rather than being self-absorbed, we become focused on others. Suggests Ways we can individually image Christ in a lonely world. No matter who you are, you will experience loneliness in this fallen world. But God has entered into our loneliness and transformed it. He has united us to himself and each other in Jesus. And he calls us to enter into the loneliness around us that we may be a friend to others